The Fanny Mechanic Show with Dr. Tash, where we dive in, go deep, and open up about women's health. Hello, and welcome everyone to this week's episode of The Fanny Mechanic Show. I am your host, Dr. Natasha Andriatis, aka Dr. Tash. This episode is proudly brought to you by City Fertility, global leaders in fertility and IVF. This week, we dive into the topic of extracting sperm from testicles. We go deep with good friend, and colleague, fellow City Fertility Specialist, Dr. Helen Perrick. Helen opens up about this commonly performed medical procedure, why it's done, and what the man and a couple going through this can expect. We also discuss an interesting case of a young transgender person and sperm extraction. A little bit about Dr. Helen Perrick. She achieved a first-class honours degree in science at the University of Melbourne, which led her to working in the field of medical research. She then studied medicine at the University of Sydney undertook specialist training in obstetrics and gynaecology at Westmead Hospital and Royal Prince Alfred Hospital in Sydney. She went on to complete subspecialty training in fertility and reproductive medicine at Royal Prince Alfred Hospital and Jenea Fertility Australia, where we worked closely together as colleagues. Dr. Perrick has achieved a Master of Human Reproduction and Human Genetics, completing a research project as part of those studies, which investigated the role of MTHFR polymorphism, a gene mutation on recurrent miscarriage. Dr. Perrick focuses on egg freezing, ovulation induction and donor conception, female and male fertility, infertility, IVF, patients requiring pre-implantation genetic diagnoses, recurrent miscarriage and gynecology with a special interest in polycystic ovarian syndrome and menopause. Before we dive into Helen's interview, I want you to imagine. Imagine you are at a bar. You meet a really cute guy and you start chatting away. There's an instant connection. Sparks fly, your panties are getting a little moist. A few drinks later, he gets quite comfortable with you and tells you he is a single dad with a couple of kids and that happily he can provide 24-7 contraception because guess what? He's had a vasectomy. A what you say? You know, he says, I've had my boy snipped, so I can't get a woman pregnant. Oh, cool, you say. But I've just met you and you're the man of my dreams and I want a baby with you. But how when you've had your boy snipped? So you duck into the toilet and you Google, he's had a vasectomy, now what? Well, there are a few options. He can see a doctor and have the snip reversed, which doesn't always work in helping you get pregnant naturally and you may need IVF. Or he quite likes the freedom of his vasectomy and doesn't want it reversed, but he's happy to have more kids and go for a teaser. What's a teaser? TESA stands for testicular sperm aspiration. Medical lingo for literally sticking a needle into a testicle and hopefully suctioning some sperm out of it. Dr. Helen Perrick discusses this in today's episode. Take it away, Dr. Perrick. Good morning, Dr. Helen Perrick. How are we this morning? I'm doing very well, thanks, Pat. I know you've already been consulting this morning and without having to go into too much detail, uh, what what kind of patient did you consult with this morning? What what kind of fertility patient did you have a chat with? Uh, I, I, I would say this morning's consult was my kind of the usual heterosexual couple that have had a delay in conception and just needed sort of, I guess, um, a discussion about their fertility results, kind of the timing of how they're going based on their age when they would consider starting fertility treatments such as IVF. So I guess something that me and you probably talk about on a daily basis mm. to the majority of our patients. 
Bread and butter fertility. Bread and butter is the Mm. right word. Yes, exactly. Mm. That's exactly what I would call it, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And you mentioned that uh, you uh, are doing lots of Zoom at the moment or Skype. And how have you found that that's worked in your practice? Uh, Look, overall I think it's been working quite well. Um, I was quite used to doing it in the past for regional patients because I had I've I've been doing Skype consults, for example, for patients from Coffs Harbour for probably the last 10 years. So um, it's something I was quite familiar with. Um, So, yeah, I think it's been working quite well. And most people have been working from home anyway. So it's been convenient for the patients I've been consulting. And to be honest, it's been convenient for me as well. Um, I just find it's a little bit odd. It's probably a little bit impersonal compared to seeing them, obviously, in person. As often when they are having treatment, the first time you'll meet them in person is when you're actually doing a procedure on them. But, yeah, apart from that little bit of a strange thing about meeting them for the first time in a day surgery, I I think it's been quite convenient for everybody. We've been able to achieve the same goals in terms of having the discussion, um, providing them all the information, investigations, have been able to be emails, forms, et cetera, like that. So, yeah, overall, I've been happy with it in general. Yeah, thanks to technology, huh? I oh, know, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to um Yeah, I was <laughs> I wanted to pick your brains about uh testicular sperm aspiration or obtaining sperm from a testicle because mm-hmm. you do a bit of this. Um yep. can you explain to our audience what a teaser is? What it yeah. means? Yeah, TEAS is probably one of the simpler options and the one that I would probably most likely do. So TEAS is, is, is the testicular sperm aspiration. Um, so what that involves is usually, I mean, it can be probably done in different ways, but the technique that I would usually use is a butterfly needle um, that would go into the actual testicle. Uh, you create a suction and then you're actually aspirating fluid from the testicle. And that fluid that we've aspirated would then go to the scientist to look through um, to see if we've actually retrieved um, any sperm. Often, even though we're aspirating fluid, you will also get some tubules, which is important because the sperm is located in the tubules and often that will mean we'll get a higher concentration of sperm in that particular um, sample. Um, So that's generally mostly used, um, particularly if women, men have had, sorry, obstructive azospermia, so men that have had um, a vasectomy vasectomy in the past. Um, So that's probably the most common reason that I would do a teaser. Um, Other reasons are things like a congenital bilateral absence of the vas deferens. Um, Again, another obstructive cause or sometimes we don't know why the obstruction is, could have been due to infection, et cetera. Um, So that's probably the main type of um, procedure that I would do. if it's a non-obstructive azospermia, then they may need a more invasive procedure. Yeah, the tubules you describe, are they're almost like little vermicellis, aren't they? Like the vermicelli they noodle. They look like a really yeah, miniature do. vermicelli noodle. Yeah, they do. get very excited when we find those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Usually means they've got lots of, lots of sperm in them, don't they? So, yes, particularly if it's an obstructive cause. Because if it's an obstructive cause, then there's usually normal sperm production. So generally there's not a problem in obtaining sperm. Um, if it's a non-obstructive where there's a sperm production issue, then the tubules are often not that nice vermicelli that you described. They might be a little bit more stringy and um, and less likely to have you know, sperm um, obtained from those type of tubules. 
So going backwards a little bit, how does a man well, prepare for this procedure? Look, I don't know that there's any particular um, preparation. Um, I, I guess it's the same as any sperm health. It's about healthy lifestyle and it's not something that you can change in five minutes. You know, if you've seen someone one week and you're doing a procedure the, the next week, it's probably the sperm would be what it would be. You're not really altering it. Um, but, you know, healthy lifestyle, men that are in normal weight range, um, don't smoke, don't drink excessively, don't use drugs. And that's not something that you're going to change in five minutes as we know sperm production happens over a probably 72-day period. So um, any changes you might see on the day of your sperm extraction, you would have wanted to make changes at least probably three months prior to that. Um, so I don't know that I'd give them any advice for just before the procedure. It's more long-term lifestyle changes that they should make to ensure their health is in the best possible form um, for the procedure or, yeah, or even if it's naturally. So you know how sometimes patients, when they are operated on for other reasons, like a, a groin, a hernia in the groin, they get asked yeah. to, to wash in a certain way. Um, do, do you get your guys to wash their testicles really well? Do, do they have to shave their testicles, um, get um, rid of hair before they come and see you? Yeah, not necessarily. I mean, if, if shaving is helpful, um, but that's probably the only instruction I would say. Um, otherwise, we will, it's like any other operation, you'll... Um, with better dean and clean the area prior to starting the procedure. So I don't usually give them any specific washing instructions um, apart from shaving is helpful. And on the day, do you use an anaesthetist or do you use a block uh, um, around the testicle? What do you use for pain relief? Uh, I, well, I do both. Um, I really let, I really discuss that with the patient, obviously, when I meet them in person during the consult, which they would prefer. I would examine the patient's. Um, at that consult to see how they react to an examination. Um, if it's something that if they don't tolerate an examination, they are going to want a general anaesthetic. Um, but a lot of the men that have had a vasectomy might have had that under local. They tolerate examinations, for example, really well. So I'm happy to do those under local if that was their preference. Um, but there are others that if on examination they find that really uncomfortable. They would absolutely prefer to have a general during their procedure. So. I do both, and it really, it's what they prefer more than what I prefer. So, what does a testicular examination actually involve? Some pulling, some tugging. Um, what do you actually do? Um, well, I would definitely both. So, yeah, you're looking at the size of the testicles, and we've got the orchidometers to see, you know, is the testicular volume normal range? Um, and you would be feeling the cord just to see if you can feel the vas, for example. So these are the ones that don't have an explanation for why they are azospermic. And if you don't feel a vas, then that's kind of giving you that diagnosis of the congenital bilateral absence of the vas deference. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely pulling to feel that somatic cord, the vas, the size of the testicles, um, I guess squeezing the testicles just to see how they would tolerate the procedure when you would actually have to put a needle into it. Um, so, yeah, I think that's is that what you're sort of after. Yeah, and uh, yeah. if you could explain to our listeners what the VAS is. So the VAS difference is, um, so when you have sperm production in the testicles, which then has to make its way out through the VAS, to be ejaculated. So that's, I guess, like the plumbing. Um, so if that plumbing is disrupted, 
by us when we do a vas, or if it's absent, um, then the sperm can't be ejaculated. Um, so to me, it's just part of the male plumbing. It's probably the best description that I can give of it. Yeah, and it feels like spaghetti, doesn't it, generally? I don't know what size spaghetti, but yeah, that's how it's I, a, when it's I examine them. Yeah, it's sort of a rubbery consistency, but it's it's really obvious. It's very different to what a blood vessel feels like. Um, it's definitely much firmer, like a spaghetti. Mm, doesn't throb. Yeah, that's right. And uh, on the day, do you usually say, say you're doing a a, a, a TESA for a man who's had a vasectomy? Do you mm-hmm. go for both testicles always? Um, I generally do, um, in case one sample is better than another. Um, I mean, look, if, if you had one sample that the scientists and maybe said, wow, that's so much sperm that we don't need anymore. But generally, I would do both. Um, and usually you wait because the scientists are actually looking at the sample in the room with you um, and telling you if they have a sufficient sample. Um, usually you, you would be giving them more than one sample and usually from both sides just to ensure that we've definitely got um, good quality sperm there. And how much time do you allow for this procedure? Probably somewhere around 30 to 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And do you always do an ultrasound on these men before you go sticking needles in, in their testes? I do. If it's a workup for azospermia where we don't know the cause, then generally, yes, I will do an mm-hmm. ultrasound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what can go wrong with a teaser? Any complications? Oh, look, I think any surgical procedure has a risk of complications, but it's very rare to get a complication after a teaser because we're not making any incisions. Um, the needle's quite fine, but for the most common is bruising. Um, it is a vascular area, so you will often get bruising and a little bit of discomfort following the procedure. But that's probably the the main risk. Um it's very rare that you're going to cause a massive hematoma and any permanent damage to the testicles from just an aspiration. I mean, the risk is going to be higher if you're actually doing an incision and um, removing tissue. Any of those sort of risks will be greater in those sort of procedures compared to just an aspiration. And what kind of aftercare do these men get? Um, look, usually there's not much, to be honest. I think they just go home and, um, and yeah, feel a bit bruised and sore for a few days. <clears throat> And normally after that, excuse me, um, there's not much else that's required. Um, they may need a little bit of pain relief if they're sore, panadine, panadine fort, but most of them are usually okay after a few days. So as long as you tell them they're going to walk like John Wayne <laughs> and they have that, for, that foresight to know that they're going to be walking funny, nothing that's else, right. no tight-wearing yeah. undies or you know how sometimes when women have pain in their breasts or premenstrually our boobs get, yeah. get sore, uh, sometimes yeah. women find relief from wearing really tight kind of almost sports bras. Um, yeah. what, what advice do you give these men in regards to their underwear? Um, look, I think with an aspiration I don't usually give them much extra advice but it's Tighter underwear and a little bit of compression is probably more helpful. Um, again, like if I've had a bigger procedure where you've had an incision and there's definitely going to be more pain. But from an aspiration, sometimes you might have only put a needle in once or twice. So, you know, I think the tolerance is going to be nowhere near, in terms of bruising, is not going to be anywhere near as great as a bigger operation. So with those, I mean, I don't tend to really ask them to do anything but wear their normal underwear. Mm-hmm. Um, and it depends on their occupation as well. If they're sitting around at a desk job, then they probably don't have to make any 
alterations over the next few days. But if you're someone that's got a more active job where you might be moving around, um, then yeah, definitely they might need an extra few days off work if they've got discomfort. And is there a limit to how many times a man can have a TESA? There isn't, but I guess every time you're going in, you're potentially causing some damage. Um, so it depends on the situation and I, I, I guess it depends on, on why they're having it done. Um, if someone's had a vasectomy in the past and they know that they don't ever want to have a reversal, then look, you might want to, if, if, if we um, do the procedure and it hasn't worked and we need to do it again to retrieve more sperm, I think that's reasonable. I, I, I haven't often done many repeat retrievals because usually you will try and get some sperm frozen as well. So most of the men that I've done a teaser for that have had a vasectomy in the past, often it's a one-off because you've collected the sperm for that particular IVF procedure and then you've usually had enough sperm to freeze if they have had to do another IVF procedure because that particular one didn't work. So the majority of the ones I do are one-offs anyway. I've probably only had one patient where I've done repeated teasers um, because the IVF hasn't worked and they didn't want to use frozen sperm because they thought the quality maybe wasn't as good. So that was probably a one-off, one person in all these last 10, 15 years where I've done repeated procedures. Then there are others that were kind of tossing between IVF um, and if the IVF didn't work, they might go back and do a reversal. And I usually wouldn't recommend that. I would usually say, look, if you're considering a reversal, just do it straight up rather than doing a TV and then potentially a reversal later. But occasionally, again, the IVF hasn't worked and then they may have gone back to do a reversal. So again, you wouldn't have wanted to have done too many TVs when maybe you've caused some damage and obstruction that may make the reversal not successful at the same time. So, um, yeah, I think every case is different and depends on why they're having the procedure in the first place, but definitely don't do repeat very often. Now, you recently had a, an interesting uh, patient case of a, of a transgender patient. I was wondering if you could talk us through that because I found that a really interesting um, learning point. Can you go through that with us? Yeah, look, like transgender um, women will obviously often have um, gender dysphoria and they would want to be um, obviously hiding their testicles and their penis. Some people may use compression to um, appear more feminine and not show their testicles or, their, or having their testicles or penis um, being obvious to when to the way they're dressing. Um and one thing I guess I had never thought about that to, to hide your testicles, some people may um, do tucking where they would um, over time push their testicles back into uh, through the inguinal canal so they're not obvious. Um, some people may do this just on occasion. Some people might do the tucking daily so that they're hidden away. Um, and I, look, I guess I'm new to the area as well. Um, so I don't know how often transgender women would be doing this and um, if they consider that to be, if they think about that, whether that's actually harming their fertility or not, um, I guess it's, I don't know how much education there is around this procedure that they may be doing because we know that testicles are, are meant to be in the scrotum at a cooler temperature and testicles that are undescended, for example, we know that they can be damaged and sperm production can be damaged if they're living in the abdominal wall um, on a more permanent basis. I don't think there's much research on it. I went and tried to look up papers to see 
how much damage there may be caused. But we know just from, I guess, undescended testicles that there's damage. So I guess you would think that testicles that are living or being put back in the animal can on purpose for tucking, you may be causing some long-term damage to your fertility. Now, that might not matter to some people, but it may matter to some people. But I guess it's more about the education of it and making people aware um, that this may be causing damage and whether they should be freezing sperm before they start these sort of um, procedures of tucking. When you say um, so yeah, damage, guess, what do you mean? Well, I guess if your testicles are living in the inguinal canal more than they're in the scrotum, they're being warmed, and we know that the testicles should be cooler than your body temperature, so you may be causing damage to the actual testicles and sperm production because of the high temperature that they're living in, inside the body rather than in the, in the scrotum. So do you look at DNA fragmentation as well in these patients? I haven't been because I've been young um, and the fertility has not been an issue. It's more that that in the future you might be hampering your fertility and if you're uh, actually um, damaging the testicles in terms of your germ cells, are you actually um, lowering your sperm production by doing that on a continual basis for potentially years and years? So with this young patient who um, was a teenager, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So what happened? So you saw this patient went in to do a testicular sperm aspiration, is that correct? Mm, yeah. And why did you end up doing that procedure on them? Well, I guess if someone um, is doing fertility preservation, the main way to the, the simplest option will be to provide ejaculate and provide a sample to be frozen. Now, if you've got uh, I, I guess ge- uh, gender dysphoria that might be something that you just don't want to do um, so I guess a very more radical option is to do an aspiration um, to get the sperm so that's what we did in this instance but that wouldn't be your first option obviously the first option if possible would be to just provide ejaculate and provide a sample but it wasn't possible in, you know, in this instance and that's why we went in to do an aspiration so that young uh, transgender woman, she mm-hmm. how did she feel when she was told by you that, uh, you know, we need to go in and do this procedure to obtain sperm? What was their response? Um, they were very, very aware and intelligent and obviously they knew that they wanted to do a procedure to get the sperm because they just didn't want to have anything to do with it. It was it was more that it was a discussion about fertility preservation and I think it I think in these young um, transgender people, it, it often comes from the family and, and the ones I've had, it's usually they've always come along with their mothers just coincidentally and it's a discussion the mothers are more often um, having with their um, sons or daughters um, about fertility preservation because I mean, it's like I mean, anyone at 18 or 20 even, fertility preservation is probably something that's not very important to you at that point. Um, they're obviously more concerned about transitioning and and other aspects of their life is obviously much more important than the fertility preservation. So the ones that I've had come to me have often come across, come to discuss it more. I don't know if it's to appease their mothers, but obviously they've had that discussion. How look, we don't know what your future holds in terms of your fertility. It's about keeping your options open about your biological um, children potentially in the future with the gametes that you have. Um, so they're kind of, I don't know if they're doing it reluctantly, but they're doing it more as an option, but it's maybe not their priority, um, at that time. 
And so some of them change their mind because they come to have the discussion and they realize, well, look, I just don't want to do that. Um, others will obviously go through and um, provide a sample or have a procedure or if it's a transgender male, obviously have an egg retrieval. So with this young transgender patient who you were trying to obtain sperm from, uh, mm-hmm. did it? Did you actually get sperm? Um, in this instance, I didn't, but I don't know what the reason is for it. Is it due to another genetic reason why, coincidentally, we didn't um, get sperm from the um, from them? Um, I don't know if the tucking was part of it. Was it that there was damage to the sperm because that was something they were doing for a few years? So I don't think I got to the bottom of why. Um, we didn't retrieve sperm, but we did it, and I did send a sample off for histology. Um, so the the person was not keen to really pursue it any further. I think that was the end of the road for them. They gave it a go. Um, it wasn't meant to be, and that was the end of it, and they didn't really want to do any further testing to find out if there was another reason for the fact that we weren't able to retrieve sperm beyond that maybe the tucking had done some damage. But I don't know if that was the only reason or was there another genetic reason of why potentially um, we weren't able to retrieve sperm. But that, that wasn't important to them at that point, so we just left it at that. I'm reading a really good book at the moment called About a Girl. I don't know if you've heard of this book. No. Yeah, I think you'd really enjoy it. Um it's a true story uh, about a, it's a mother's story about raising her transgender mm-hmm. child. So yeah. um, uh, this woman, Rebecca Rebecca Robertson, mm-hmm. uh, gave birth to twin boys, George and Harry, and then she talks about how George uh, transitioned uh, to womanhood. And, yeah, a, a fantastic story. I'm halfway through and um, I would love to be able to do it, a podcast with Rebecca Robertson or her daughter, Georgie, yeah, uh, but we'll see how we go. But I, I, I really encourage people to read this book um, because it just really highlights the the issues that transgender people and their families face. And um, mm. I have to say, before reading this book, I really was quite clueless about a lot of the issues that they face. So um, I think I'll pass that on to you when I finished it. Yeah, I think I definitely want to read it. Uh, I wanted to ask you some personal questions, Dr. Perrick. Okay. <laughs> Not too personal. Like <laughs> Perrick's going, what is she going to ask me? Um, uh, which people in your life have, your, have been your biggest inspirations? Uh, look, I, I think as I get older, I still think it's probably as simple as my family and my parents. Um, yeah, I, I just look at what they've been through in their life. Um, I mean, they're both migrants from Croatia, they had a hard life overseas and you know, coming to Australia and what they were able to provide us and the life they were able to give us. To me, I think they're still probably my greatest inspiration. It's funny, of all the podcasts, I don't think I've done a single podcast where someone hasn't mentioned their parents and their family. Oh, really? Yeah, it's quite nice. Yeah. Um, what are your favourite books? So do you have any favourite books? I, do, I, I know you like reading. I, I do. I, I just don't read enough. And I, I'm nowhere close to reading anywhere near as much as you do, Tash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, have, um, I have an addiction. That's my addiction. Uh, I wish I want to have more of an addiction. I love reading, but I don't do it anywhere near enough. And then I forget what I've read. Um, <laughs> look, I, I think, I think just 
thinking about what's going on in the world today, um, particularly, I guess, this last week, particularly in America. And um, probably the book that I, I enjoyed the most in the last couple of years was Becoming by Michelle Obama. Um, mm, that's, a, just, that's one I've had so many people say is a must to read. I haven't read it yet. Devorah, yeah. Devorah Lieberman, who we both work with, I think, yeah. listened to her Audible yeah. version and uh, she actually reads the book. But, um, yeah, no, I think it's, it's, yeah, I think it's just, it makes you just think about how lucky we are and just what, we don't know that we're going to be born black or white, but what the extra stress that they have to go through and just what she had to endure, I guess, from childhood. And she had a wonderful upbringing, amazing parents, which has, you know, shown you what an amazing person she is. But just being black and the racism that you have to go through um, from the day you were born, it's just incredible. And I guess looking at what's going or what's happening around the world now, I think it's, um, it makes me think about the book. I read it a couple of years ago. I think I need to reread it again. Um, yeah, I mean, racism is an interesting topic. I mean, I remember being teased at school for being with Greek background. So I think most yeah. people have been touched by discrimination. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Look, I agree. And I, and I look at it because even, I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, we're, I grew up, I guess, primary school, late 70s, high school in the 80s and, you know, being called a wog and all the rest of it. But I think that doesn't even come close to the racism these people experience. You know what I mean? Ours mm. is just a tiny little bit of what they've gone through throughout their whole life because I feel mine was there maybe a little bit when you were young but it didn't really disturb me but it was still racism um, and I don't think it affected me maybe as an adult whereas there's, they're still experiencing it today. It hasn't changed. Mm. I remember going to South Africa back in 2008, quite a number of years after apartheid had officially, inverted commas, come to an end and it, yeah. it was still very present and I felt so uncomfortable there, you mm. know, walking into a restaurant and not seeing groups of black and white people sitting together having a meal, very segregated. Yeah. And I thought, wow, imagine this wow. time at the at this place at the peak of apartheid. Yeah, yeah. So, um, such a long way to go. Mm. And I guess when we, we, we look, we're not immune to it in Australia. I still feel that we've got a lot to answer for to the way we've treated our divisions in Australia as well. So it's not just an American problem, it's a world problem, Australian problem. So have you got any books that you would like to read? Uh, look, I, I just, I keep lists and lists of them. <laughs> I can't even mention how many. I think, uh, yeah, I, I can't, I don't think I can name one, but there would be loads of them. And what songs make you happy, Dr. Perrick? Oh, uh, again, music is one of the things I love listening to. I'm not really fussed about what I listen to. I just love to listen to pop in general. Love my 80s music that I can sing along to. Um, like to have music in the background, but I don't know if I necessarily have a favourite as such. And do you have a dream collaboration? Um, look, I... I don't know if it's a dream collaboration. I, I, I love my job. Um, I guess my dream collaboration is working in what I do as a fertility specialist where we all collaborate together. It's probably as simple as that. Um, I think like as Devorah, probably you've heard us always say, we don't like working in silos. We all need to work and collaborate and, um, you know, Working, speaking to our fellow colleagues like yourself, um, speaking to the nurses on a regular basis, talking to the scientists and what's going on in the lab. Um, I think that will give you 
what makes um, the care we provide um, much more cohesive, makes our job more enjoyable. Um, so to me, that's simple, but I think that's that's probably the type of collaboration that and I think we're getting there um, that I enjoy. And I don't know if it's a dream, but I think it's what we're trying to achieve. I think you're living the dream, Dr. Perrick. <laughs> <laughs> I think I slowly have changed. To, I'm getting there, aren't we? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, trust me. You yeah. are living the dream. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> and uh, to finish for our listeners, uh, so for the women and the men who are listening out there, what top tips do you have for men who are trying to fall pregnant with their partners? Uh, I would say it's a team effort and don't forget that. Um, you do want to make sure it's not just the female doing everything she can and you're letting the party down. Um, so whether it's, you know, a lot of times whether you are still smoking, stop together, uh, enjoy the right foods together, cook together, and all of these lifestyle factors will, you know, make sure that you're both in top tip condition so that your sperm and the eggs are in the best condition they can be to um, help you achieve a pregnancy. Yeah, together. I think that's a... If I had a highlighter, I would highlight that word right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good tip. Thank you, Dr. Perrick. We shall speak again. Thank you for your time, Kat. I hope you've enjoyed this episode with Dr. Helen Perrick and that you've learned a little bit about a commonly performed medical procedure that cis men and transgender people have as part of fertility treatment and fertility preservation. Share this episode with someone if you think it will help them. Please subscribe to the Fanny Mechanic channel, and if you haven't already, hop over and give the show a fantastic rating. Shoot me a message on Instagram, Dr. Tash Fanny Mechanic, and join the Fanny Mechanic podcast group on Facebook. Let me know of any topics you'd like to hear, cool people like an interview, or books to read. Until next time, stay fanny-tabulous.